right, welcome back to From Made Arbitration, and I'm not going to speak. <laughs> I've got my man Mike Carafon. He's going to talk about collective bargaining, and I'm going to give it all to him. Um, we've been talking a little bit. Got some great things in store for you, okay? So I'm not going to speak at all. <laughs> I know some of you are appreciative of that. But Mike, you on with me? I'm here, my brother. I am here. All right. Hey, I'm going to hand it over to you. I appreciate you more than you know, brother. And I say it all the time on the episode. I'm going to say it right here in front of you, even though you're in Chicago. I appreciate you, and I appreciate you what you do for our people. Um, they're your people, too. I know that you do, as a business agent, you do go back and deliver a little bit just to say, hey, I ain't forgot where I came from. I love that. And I love you, my man. I appreciate you getting on here and speaking to our people. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to let you have it. So it's all yours, my man, all right? Yep. Thank you, man. And, uh, you know, they say you and I have a little bit of a bromance going on. And uh, that's, <laughs> that's okay by me, man. I, I really appreciate what you do here uh, with the podcast, Corey. I think that uh, obviously it started with just providing information. Uh, but I also think that it has evolved and become a way for, uh, you know, I don't want to use the word regular, but, you know, your regular average member of the NELC to have input, to say what's on their mind, to, you know, get at the um, not only the injustices that we face dealing with the employer, but uh, problems that we have internally. Uh, with our union or just things we think could be better or things we think we could be doing. And it's, it's interesting because I, I listen to all the podcasts. Uh, I always have since the first one uh, really like, you know, I, I have time in the car or whatever. I know a lot of people listen to them out on the route and we're listening and, you know, not everything applies. And uh, sometimes I find myself, you know, kind of cheering Corey on, yeah, go get him, man. Tell him how it is. And then I'm like, Oh shit. I think he's talking about me. <laughs> you know, because when you serve in a, in a leadership role, um, that, that's the way it goes. You know, the, the membership is not supposed to be constantly patting you on the back and telling you what a great job you're doing. Uh, the membership is, is supposed to be pointing out the inadequacies. The, the membership is supposed to be pointing out uh, how we can get better, you know. So I, I don't, I don't uh, begrudge Corey at all the role that he plays in the podcast and all that. We have different roles. Uh, I'm an insider. He's an outsider, and and that's and that's fine. But um, there's definitely a, a space and, and a role for him to play, and, and he's he's playing it, and he's doing a great job, man. And I commend him uh, a lot for the effort. Uh, constantly, I, I got a lot of members in my region that reach out to him. I've reached out to him for information. I say, hey, man, you got any sites on this particular issue, or have you guys dealt with this? You know where you're at, or what kind of experience do you have uh, in dealing with this particular issue? And he's always been there, uh, constantly uh, on the phone, uh, day and night, uh, constantly sending emails and messages and, and just helping the membership out in, in any way that, that he can. I mean, I don't, I don't know when the man just sleeps. And, you know, I, I don't think he has much of a personal life. So, uh, I, like I say, I, I can and I don't begrudge him for, for any of that. And I really appreciate what he does for, for this union. So, anyway, let's get to the... Uh, Heart of the matter here. There is a busy weekend going on over here in Chicago. So I uh, took a little time to come on because I think this is really important, the issue of collective bargaining. I'm going to get into it here in a minute. Over here in Chicago, we have the uh, Regional Leadership Academy that, that's going on. 
Uh, I know a lot of people that are in the Leadership Academy that uh, listen to the podcast. So <laughs> shout out to them. I'm not going to name, you know, name names, but uh, they take their time uh, on, on Sundays or holidays. They'll be here again tomorrow to, um, you know, get some of that knowledge. They, they come in. We focus on uh, labor history. We focus on public speaking, writing skills. Uh, how people learn, you know, teaching skills, and then they do a whole bunch of projects. So uh, they've been working very hard, real group, real good group of people down there. So uh, they're at the regional office this weekend, and all of the people that work at the regional office are working this weekend because we all have a part to play in the Leadership Academy. Uh, in addition, Branch 11 has a big bowl-a-thon tonight. Uh, man, uh, 32 lanes uh, fully booked from the 6 p.m. session, fully booked for the 10 p.m. session. Uh, we'll be there late into the night. Uh, they got a DJ. They got karaoke set up at the bowling alley. That's going to be great. I'm going to head over to there uh, when I get off the podcast. And then tomorrow uh, is the Care of Winter Extravaganza, a little uh, thing we do. We haven't done it in a couple of years, but uh, we used to do it every year. And uh, we have breakfast at the Union Hall. Uh, people come out, and then we go over to the Field Museum. So if you're in the Chicago area, um, you know, it's not too late. You hear this tonight or early in the morning. Come on over to the Union Hall on uh, 39th and Wabash, and we do that. Any proceeds we get, I mean, it's, it's cheap. It's $25 for the whole family. And they ask me, well, what size is the family, Mike? I say, hey, man, just like any other family. You can fit them all in the minivan. That's the family. <laughs> you know, we, we don't care what the size of the family is. But uh, we do make a little money. Uh, we try to at least, and we turn that over to Muscular Dystrophy Association, official charity of the NELC. So that'll be tomorrow. But anyway, um, Tonight, uh, or this afternoon, I guess, for me, but I guess tonight, by the time you hear it, or tomorrow, we are going to talk about how to obtain a contract that fundamentally addresses our needs and improves our job. Uh, so we're not just trying to get any contract here. We're trying to get one that, um, you know, is, is something we can hang our hat on that fundamentally addresses the issues that we face, and there's, there's tons of them. Um, I, I was paying close attention when Corey was talking about, for example, the issue of contract compliance and how many, you know, you have an issue and, you, you know, you keep addressing it and management keeps violating the same provision over and over and over again. And you get to the point where um, you're filing grievances and you're getting monetary awards. You're getting monetary awards for the grievance, for the class of grievance. You're getting monetary awards for the union. Uh, I think I told you guys in Chicago, every time they violate the contract, damn near, uh, which is any time they violate a cease and desist order or uh, terms of a grievance settlement, they got to pay the union $2,500. Uh, and, and where does that money come from, you know? And Corey asked the question, what if we can't get a contract that, that resolves that issue? Then what? Then what do we do? What, what do we do with a job where the terms of the contract don't mean anything. The words on the piece of paper don't mean anything. What do we do from there? And uh, me and him had a little conversation about it. I said, look, man, the contract's everything. The contract, is it, it should be enforceable. It should be something that makes sense. It should be something that uh, works for both sides. And this process that we're about to embark on, it has to fulfill that it has to fulfill the goals of, of that process, which is to get a good contract that's not just good for us, but it's good for the employer, where uh, we can be confident in the terms, we can trust the terms, we can feel good about uh, how everything is going to play out, and the employer uh, also has has the same uh, feeling. So 
Um, I've been maybe a, a little bit, um, uh, I don't know what the word is, but, you know, a little bit on the outside of the conventional wisdom within the NELC and, and uh, amongst everybody, you know, because I think we have, a, we have a bad contract. We have a lousy contract, uh, to put it bluntly. And to me, there's no, other, there's no other definition of how bad the contract is than the fact that currently our employer, United States Postal Service, is unilaterally and outside of the terms of our contract has agreed in over 300 post offices across the country to significantly raise our pay, um, where they've had the all-career model, where they're, instead of paying the contractually re required $19.33 per hour, they've agreed to pay $22.18, put the person automatically onto the career pay scale, pay them additional uh, benefits, retirement, uh, health insurance, sick leave, you know, things that they're not paying the CCAs, and they did that voluntarily. Uh, to me, that is, uh, you know, if, we, if we're humble enough and if we're uh, honest enough with ourselves, that should be a clear recognition that, that the contract that we're working under is not sufficient. It's inadequate. It's, it's, uh, it's failed us. So I, I, I go into this round of collective bargaining with, with that mindset. And uh, this Wednesday, we will start officially collective bargaining with United States Postal Service, February 22nd, this Wednesday. Uh, the entire executive council of the NELC, along with uh, tons of people on the post office side, including the postmaster general and, and the whole team, uh, whatever, uh, will be there at LaFont Plaza, USPS headquarters, and we'll begin contract negotiations. We'll start off with our opening statements. Uh, here's what our goals are. Here's what we're going to uh, try to attain out of, out of this contract, and the Postal Service will will do the same. And that begins the uh, collective bargaining process. Um, so my role, I've been in involved in collective bargaining. This will be my third go around. Um, I've been the national business agent in Region Three for this is my third term. I'm the senior national business agent for whatever whatever that's worth. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm bringing my experience to bear in every one of your uh, business agents in whatever region you're in, and all of your national officers are bringing their experience and their, and their uh, ideas and everything to the table, and we're going to meet with the Postal Service, and we're going to try to come up with a contract that, that works for both sides. Um, I wanted to come on and talk to you guys directly here because I have some serious concerns, and I've expressed them. Uh, to our president, Brian Renfro, I've expressed them to the to the uh, executive council. And my concern is just simply that I, I'm looking at the strategy that we're rolling out, and you guys will see uh, Wednesday when we when we put out our opening statement and what it looks like. Uh, my concern is that our strategy this time is too similar to our strategy in previous contracts. And I think this is a, we're in a whole different environment now, and and we shouldn't just uh, go forward in the same manner that we've gone forward before, and I really hope we don't get the same results that we've gotten uh, in, in previous contracts. So I'm not going to go into details about the strategy. I definitely don't want to undermine the position of the NELC. I don't want to undermine the position of the president. I want the president to be successful. Um, he's laid out uh, what he believes to be the, the best strategy for the union, and um, I'll just leave it at that, and we'll, we'll see how that plays out. So... Uh, last time, uh, I did express, <laughs> I, you know, not to 
not not to make it seem that um, that I didn't support the last contract because I did. I think that was a mistake. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, we we came out of the contract last time expired in November twenty nineteen, and uh, we were going to get into uh, interest arbitration. Then the pandemic came in March of twenty twenty. It really slowed down interest arbitration. We ended up uh, putting on some a uh, bunch of sessions in front of a neutral arbitrator, which was going to be Nolan, and uh, both sides put on a lot of presentation, this and that. And then uh, there was still kind of ongoing conversations, and we were able to get a negotiated settlement. And that negotiated settlement was at the end of 2020, and uh, we discussed it as executive council. We thought it was a big win that we were able to get conversion of two years from non-career to career. I mean, it's kind of a little bit comical now because that that wouldn't be anything close to a big win in, in this contract. But at the time, uh, it really did seem like a, a big win. Um, I did present to the executive council and, and president uh, Rolando at the time, many other things outside of, uh, you, you know, your pay, your, your traditional kind of bread and butter issues that we look at in a contract. Uh, that I thought we could really improve upon and that I thought the Postal Service would have an incentive to improve upon. Uh, we talk about, uh, well, President Renfro has come on this podcast and we've talked a lot about how, what are the, what are the uh, uh, dynamics for collective bargaining? You know, what, what is the environment for collective bargaining? And by the time we went ahead and settled the contract with the Postal Service at the end of 2020 last time, we were actually in a very good position. Uh, we're, we're in a better position this time, but we were in a good position that time too. Uh, we had just gone, you know, the pandemic, we, we really, you know, showed ourselves to be a delivery network for America. We never stopped working. We didn't take no days off. All of America is working from home and all this other uh, stuff. And we, we weren't doing none of that. We were coming to work. We were dealing with whatever obstacles. We were trying to stay safe and doing everything we can. Uh, we did that. We did the 2020 election. Very, very successful. People felt confident putting their ballots in the mail, receiving their ballots and putting them back in the mail. Um, and, and way more people voted by mail in that 2020 election than had ever done so in the past. So um, we as letter carriers, the Postal Service was, was doing good. And uh, there was a lot of uh, support for us as, as letter carriers. And so we, you know, I thought we could have gotten more out of the last contract. But at the end of the day, I, like 94% of, of the membership, uh, voted in favor of the contract. I think we made a mistake. I think we could have gotten a better contract last time. And I just, I don't want us to make the same mistake this time. I want us to get a contract that we can feel proud about and that we're going to feel good and we're going to be able to do all the things that we need to do that, that a contract represents. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. Now, what is wrong with the current contract? Why does it not represent uh, our needs? And, and so I wrote, took some notes here on, on some of the things that I think uh, are, because, you know, you get into the collective bargaining process and you, you kind of start with what is the problem? What is, what are we trying to solve? What, 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 what is the um, impediment to, to growth, growth of the Postal Service, growth of us as, as individual letter carriers and our job and, and all that? And you, and you look at some things that are just huge, huge roadblocks, uh, huge challenges, huge problems. And, and then we try to figure out how to, how to solve those problems, right? That's the collective bargaining process. So 
Uh, let's start with one. The job is no longer desirable. Uh, and I'm talking about uh, people coming into the job, and I'm talking about people that already have the job. Particularly, you look at the number of veterans that are applying for the job and, and getting the job as a letter carrier way, way down. Uh, generally, people that have the skills to be good letter carriers do not want to be letter carriers anymore. Even ones that have already worked in the post office, um, you know, that have had that experience are not, are not staying with it. Uh, career carriers are quitting the job at an alarming rate. This was never the case. Uh, you got the career job, you moved up in the pay scale. It was a career. Um, I started in 1994. The job just kept getting better, you know. <laughs> I didn't start the job thinking I'd be there, you know, 29 years later, but here I am. And, and the job just kept kind of getting better and better, and, and it was an actual uh, career. That's not the case anymore. We have people that are quitting the job at an alarming rate now way more than, than in the past. And, you know, it's, it's not just the pay. And, and this is kind of going to be the theme of this whole kind of presentation here today. It simply cannot just be about the pay. And the reason why is, is obvious. Look at people that come into the job. They're making CCA pay. They were making $18 or whatever it was that, you know, they made at the time. And then they, they became career. And then they moved up the pay scale. And they became a full-time regular. And they got all these benefits. And their pay went up. And then they quit the job. So what does that tell you? It tells you there's something else besides just the basic pay that, that people are looking for uh, out of a job as a letter carrier that is not being fulfilled under the terms of the current contract, the way the situation is set up uh, currently. Uh, point number three, uh, letter carriers, and this is maybe just anecdotal, and Corey mentioned, I do go back to carry mail. I go to a lot of post offices when, when I'm not carrying mail. I always you know, go talk to the carriers, see how they're doing, uh, that kind of thing. And uh, letter carriers are generally miserable on the job these days. I mean, that's a blanket statement, and it's not true everywhere. I understand that, and I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm very happy for you if that's not the case. But um, the job has become a lot more physically demanding. There's more stress. We're more time out on the street than ever before. And the micromanagement of our every single second and minute of everything that we do has, has gotten ridiculous. Um, so the, the job is less desirable. The people that are on the job are, are miserable um, to some extent. And then you get to, uh, the next point is that the work schedules, uh, they vary too much. They're unknown. And every single day is, is a damn crisis. And that's something that has to be fixed. Every single day we report to work cannot be a, a crisis, can't be uh, everything's all messed up. How are we going to get the mail delivered? You got to do this. You got to do that. Uh, and then the scheduling. We don't know ahead of time when you're going to work and when you're, when you're not going to work. Uh, that, that doesn't work for today's workforce. That uh, should not be the case for full-time regulars that should have some stability and know what their schedule is going to look like. Um, point number five, we struggle as a union to enforce the terms of the collective bargaining agreement. That's a fact. I mean, I, I, can, I can tell you stories about things that we've done and, and everyone has done. You know, uh, my, my fellow business agents around the country, we're working night and day to, you know, file, uh, you know, teach and educate our branches and our stewards on how to file grievances so that when the Postal Service doesn't follow the contract, there's a remedy, then there's an escalating remedy, then there's a more additional remedy, then there's language that you can try to get that will solve the problem, and we're constantly chasing and chasing and chasing. But the fact of the matter is, is that 
Um, and I always give the example, I think I did it in the last podcast, which by the way, if you go back and listen to episode 76, I did go into more detail about some of this contractual stuff. Unfortunately, uh, it was a bad connection. I had the AirPods in. This time I do not have the AirPods in. I am linked in with this little wire here, so hopefully this connection will work better. But uh, I'm not going to go into as much detail about some of the stuff, but I, I did go into detail about that in, in episode 76. But the terms, the terms of the contract, they, they need to mean something to the extent that you know what your rate of pay is. It's negotiated. When you get your paycheck, not 100%. But very, very close to 100% of the time, you know what your pay, you know what your rate of pay is going to be. You know what the paycheck is going to be. It, it flows uh, because the Postal Service has hired people in finance and different departments to make sure that your check is right, that the money that you're owed, that you're supposed to get, is the amount that you get. Other terms of the contract, not so much. Eh, we, we, you know, they're, they're not following those terms. There's no incentive to follow those terms. There's no motivation to follow those terms. They don't have to follow those terms. You know, that, that to me is unacceptable. We have to, we have to get a contract that, that means what it means. It means what the, the words that are on the paper say that it means. And without that, um, that that's, uh, that's a problem. And that's, that's number five. Uh, number six is, is the, uh, is the starting pay is is not enough, and the employer has, you know, admitted admitted as much. Uh, I mentioned that they they over three hundred offices now in all career model. They need to add more. There's there's plenty of offices that are not in there that need to be in there. Um, so there's there's an overwhelming uh, staffing issue. There's an overwhelming uh, pay issue at the especially at the beginning of the pay scale. Um, these are problems that need to be addressed in this round of collective bargaining. So um, we get into this round of collective bargaining and you say, okay, well, we know what our needs are, right? Uh, and any, any uh, contract, of course, we want well, $100 an hour, new car every, every time, every year, whatever, you know, a brand new Cadillac. We want, we want to pay them to pay for 100% of our health insurance and 100% of our retirement and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then, and, you know, the employer has, has their interest as well. And they have an economic interest in uh, paying less. They're looking out for the ratepayers. We understand how that, how that to and fro uh, happens. Uh, and we meet somewhere in the middle on the economic issues, obviously. But the, what about the other uh, needs of the employer? So uh, here's one thing. The employer is not able to deliver all the mail six days a week. Uh, I know people, friends of mine right now, uh, maybe not right now, it's about 5.30 p.m. Uh, Central Standard Time, but I know today uh, people are delivering mail. What mail are they delivering? They're de I mean, obviously we know we're delivering parcels all over America today on a Sunday, but we're delivering mail today. We're delivering mail that was not delivered yesterday. Uh, and that happens every single day in thousands of post offices around the country. All the mail is not being delivered. This is in spite of the fact that the employers required under the terms of the Postal Reform Act that we championed and we fought for and we got passed in 2022, it says they have to. It says mail delivery to the American public is going to be six days a week. And it's not. It's not because in a lot of places where they had these staffing issues, they're not able to uh, get all the mail delivered. So the employer has that problem. Second, service to the public, our mission, our reason why we're in business has deteriorated. The regular carriers off work for any number of different reasons. The, the deliveries are later in the day. 
um, sporadic. Uh, there's not reliability with the Postal Service. Um, they're stealing the checks and washing the checks, and people don't have confidence in putting checks into the mail. Uh, there's a number of uh, service issues that the post office has as, as a company that they, they need to solve, right? Third issue that the employer has, payment of overtime and penalty overtime is through the roof. <laughs> How much money are they wasting because they're not properly staffed where they would have people at the lower end of the pay scale, 1933 or obviously whatever, it's going to be higher than that, but you know whatever uh, rate of pay we agree on, when they, when they have, whenever that rate of pay is, that's not what they're paying because they're paying time and a half and penalty. You guys remember when penalty overtime used to be such a big deal? One click of penalty overtime. Oh, my God. We got to talk about this. A PDI. Let's have a whatever. Um, now, it, there's no end in sight. Uh, penalty overtime. Anyway, I, I don't need to belabor the point. You, you guys know what it is. The employer is paying out a ton of money in overtime and penalty overtime. What about grievance settlements? Simple, um, let's just say an Article 8 issue where they, they're using non-ODL carrier to work overtime where the ODL carrier is available. They pay the, they pay the non-ODL carrier. We file a grievance because it's a repetitive issue. Now they're paying the non-ODL carrier additional monies uh, because they, they, can't, they keep violating the same terms of the contract. They're paying the ODL carrier the monies for the, for the time they should have worked. All this is extra money the employer is paying out because the terms of the contract are inadequate. They need terms that they can comply with so that they don't got to pay out all this extra money. So the fact that the grievance settlements are not being adhered to and the fact that the terms of the contract apparently are too damn complicated for their supervisors is a problem for the employer. This is a problem for the employer. Uh, number five, for the employer, retention of new employees, horrible. Horrible retention rate. Uh, it's different in different places, but it's horrible. All the money that they spend in hiring, in training, in, you know, whatever, getting someone acclimated to the job, giving them equipment, providing them a uniform allowance, whatever, all that money is wasted when, when the employee just quits. Uh, the retention of the employees is a huge issue for the employer in this round of, of collective bargaining. And then you have the fact that the Postal Service is supposed to provide career jobs. And I'll read you guys from the Postal Reorganization Act of 1970. They went on a strike. Uh, following the strike, we got the Postal Reorganization Act, Section 101C. The Postal Service shall place particular emphasis upon the achievement of worthwhile and satisfying careers in the service of the United States. It ain't a career if you're quitting after six months, one year, two years, five years, whatever. A career, a satisfying career, is one that people stick with. And the amount of people that are sticking with this job over the years and making a career out of it um, is greatly reduced. And that is a problem for the employer because the law requires that, okay? The last thing, contract compliance. And you don't think contract compliance is an issue, I disagree. I'm going to play you a clip here. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of go over it, uh, voice over it. But this is from the Postmaster General, the current Postmaster General, Louis DeJoy. Uh, boy, he did a, I don't know what they call this thing, speech to the employees. Uh, this was March, of, uh, March 31st of 2021. 
Let's see if you can hear this. We also want to let you know that we have ambitious goals for improving the postal workplace, both people's strategies, and how we operate. I also want you to know we have goals for how to improve the workforce and, and strategies. That part wasn't that important, but we'll move on. Improving our people's strategy starts with making contract compliance organizational priority. Improving our people's strategies. Hey, hey, shut up. Improving our people's strategies means making contract compliance a priority. The negotiated provisions of our collective bargaining agreements must be respected. Must be respected and followed. Will Reducing grievance activity and cost will benefit our entire organization and will be the catalyst of an improved work environment. That, that's straight from the horse's mouth, literally. <laughs> so why do you think the employer has an interest in, in, uh, in contract compliance and reducing grievance activity? It's, it's because the employer, when they're looking at the issue for how it is, can see that one, they're wasting money and they're building all this damn ill will with their workforce, which doesn't bode well for the future of the Postal Service. So contract compliance is a big issue and should be addressed in this round of collective bargaining. Now, we go into collective bargaining. What is the environment that we're facing? We know we're in an improved bargaining position due to the passage of the Postal Reform Act in 2022. The Postal Service is on uh, solid financial footing. Uh, we know that the Postal Service uh, wants to grow. There's a lot of uh, growth options for parcel delivery and other things uh, for America. But we also know, uh, and, and this can't be understated, that the Postal Service is in crisis. The status quo, and this has been the status quo for every contract that I've been aware of since I've been in the post office and probably uh, much longer than I've been in the post office. The status quo, we've always said, and has always been the case, they have the right to manage, they got the right to mismanage, right? As long as, as long as they follow the contract. Well, that's no longer acceptable. They are currently mismanaging us out of our livelihood and our futures. That, that's what's going on. By the, the poor management strategies that they've implemented, by the dumb stuff that they focused on, by the failure of them to fix their problems, their hiring problems, staffing, uh, contract compliance, you know, whatever. The, the problems that they have, uh, their failures to fix those problems have resulted in uh, the American public losing faith in us as letter carriers, us as an organization, and we just cannot let that to go on because it has a hugely detrimental effect on us, our future, and our livelihood. Um, they don't follow the terms of the contract at, at, at will. I mean, we have uh, so many... I have these, these meetings with upper-level management people where they will tell me, oh, yeah, we know it's happening, but uh, all we can do is tell them, and, and we don't have any control over what they do. That is ridiculous. The fact that uh, the Labor Relations Department or the Postmaster General, who just put out, you know, who put out this notice saying that contract compliance was a priority and was important, the fact that the leaders of the organization are saying that their priorities are one thing and the managers and supervisors and the postmasters are implementing something completely different is unacceptable. That has to be dealt with in, in the terms of the contract. Um, 
So now, what did I say here? So that that was that was the postal service in crisis. That was the current um, situation. And so when we look at a contract, we say, how do we solve that problem? How do we implement terms that fix what we've just identified as as is the problem? The problem, not just our problem. It's our problem, and it's it's the employer's problem. So. Obviously, we have a lot of leverage with the passage of the postal reform. Uh, we know we're going to get a better uh, financial contract. And by the way, uh, we know where we're going to start, what we're going to ask for. We're going to start at where the uh, table one, step A starts at, which is right now 31, I think 3106. And uh, it's going to go up. We just got another cost of living raise, uh, which was minimal, but it's something. Uh, so we're going to start there, and we want to we want to end where uh, UPS top pay ends, which is somewhere around forty five dollars an hour. And they're negotiating their contract, I think, this year. So we'll see where that ends up at. But we're going to start there, all career workforce, obviously, and we'll see where the the postal service falls in on that. Uh, but there's forty three articles to the contract. Article nine covers pay. There's other articles that cover some of the pay issues. Uh, if we just wanted a contract that negotiated the terms of our pay, then the contract would be a nice little skinny book. It's not. The contract has always been about all of the articles of the contract. And when you get into contract negotiations, the problem we normally have and we, we're, we have had and we're going to have, continue to have, is that there are unreasonable people at all levels of the Postal Service. And you get into contract negotiations, and a lot of those same people are, are across the table from you. And you're, you're trying to say, here's what your interest is, here's what our interest is, let's work together. And sometimes, a lot of times, you do not have cooperation. But I can guarantee you there's one person that is going to be a reasonable person that we're going to be able to talk to, and that person is the neutral arbitrator. And sitting next to the neutral arbitrator, if we get there, is going to be uh, the person that we designate as the NELC rep on the arbitration panel, because it's a tri-party arbitration panel. So we know that if we're dealing with unreasonable, 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 at some point we're going to get to reasonable. And that's how we get the, you know, that's how we get a good contract. So obviously we're not uh, going to be afraid to go to arbitration uh, if that's what it takes. Hopefully the employer will sit down, recognize that they're in crisis, recognize that their management strategy is not working, recognize that the terms of the contract as they're currently laid out are not working for either side, are not serving uh, either side's interests or needs, and will come up with a, a negotiated contract. But if the Postal Service acts the way the Postal Service, the, we know them to always act, uh, we will not have a, a negotiated contract we're going to have to find a neutral arbitrator to be reasonable and to impose and impart uh, certain rules and contract language that fixes problems and, and makes sense. Um, a lot of these contractual improvements uh, would save the employer money. We kind of uh, talked about that a little bit earlier in, in this show. Um, in 1970, they laid it all out on the line. We won the right to have collective bargaining. And, and when they went out on strike, it wasn't just a, it wasn't just a money thing. It was, it was a huge part of it was the whole uh, collective bargaining uh, piece. That was a big part of it. Listen to this. 
We want to go back to work, but we don't want to go back to work under collective begging. We want collective bargaining. And collective bargaining allows for uh, both sides to get a contract that is acceptable. Uh, after the strike, they not only got the law changed where, well, they not only got pay raises and everything, but they also got the law changed. And the Postal Reorganization Act uh, implemented the United States Postal Service as the employer. No longer we work for the federal government, the U.S. Post Office. It also gave us collective bargaining rights where if the employer is not reasonable, doesn't give us a contract that reflects a good career job that is comparable to the private sector, if they didn't offer that, we had the right to go to an, a neutral arbitrator to get that. And that, that's, uh, that's in the law. I think that gives us all the leverage we need in this round of, of collective bargaining, all the leverage that we need. Okay, what do we need in a new contract? What are some of the must-haves? Sorry, I get some water there. All right. Let's, um, and we're going to do this. We're going to break out into committees starting this week. Uh, we, the, the union, uh, we are going to look at the contract. We're going to look at what are the different things that have been uh, passed, the resolutions at the various conventions going back to uh, all the way to 1970. What are our goals? What are some of the things that we think could be better? We're going to go article by article, and we're going to propose uh, language and changes and um, different propositions, uh, you know, the different options is what I was trying to say to, to resolve issues. But um, I kind of made a list here. Maybe it's not uh, conclusive, but let's, let's uh, I, I just say like this. I would not feel comfortable accepting a contract or agreeing to a contract that doesn't address all these things, all of them. Uh, and, and I'll tell you what they are. One is starting pay. The employer already knows that starting pay is not sufficient in today's economy to attract um, enough workers and the kind of worker that's going to be good as a letter carrier, uh, you know, professional, <laughs> professional letter carrier. We, we, we know what we're talking about there. Um, second thing, the non-career debacle has uh, got to end. The non-career workforce was imposed upon us by arbitrator Das, January 10th of 2013. Uh, one of the huge problems with the non-career workforce, in addition to just the detrimental effect it's had on our members, is that uh, they're now advertising the job as a non-career job, in violation of the uh, Postal Reorganization Act, in my opinion, but they, they're not smart enough to advertise it as a career job. We have to tell them at orientation after people have been hired, after the people that should have applied for the job didn't apply for the job. And I'm talking about a scenario, even if you raise the starting pay, if you have this situation where people are coming in in a non-career classification, how do you let people know that this is a career job? Uh, because they're not doing that. They're not, they're not doing that right now. And, and that has had a hugely detrimental effect uh, on the number of applicants they've gotten in and, and the retention process. Uh, so the way we have it now, obviously we can't agree to a contract that applies one set of rules in 300 post offices and a different set of rules in other post offices. And of course the, the number of installations that are in the all career model is, is wholly insufficient anyway. Uh, so we need an across the board, a career job that can be advertised as such, that's gonna draw uh, you know, people into the job uh, the same way that when, uh, I think they still do this every year, they send you a thing that says, 
here's what you actually make. So here's what you make in pay, but here's what your benefits are worth. You know, what's your sick leave worth? What's your health insurance worth? What's your annual leave worth? What's, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then, and so present the job in a way that makes it appealing and appetizing uh, to people to want to have it. So it's not good enough just to have those uh, benefits in the contract. It has to be something that, that we're able to advertise, either we as a union, if we're in control of uh, the hiring for our craft, which a lot of, a lot of unions do have, a lot of crafts, uh, they do have control over their hiring. We do not. Uh, but we either have to have that or the employer has to figure out how to do that because uh, what's, what's going on right now is not working. Right now, the employer, and this is from Article 3, management's rights, the employer shall have the exclusive right subject to the provisions of this agreement and consistent with applicable laws and regulations, B, to hire. They have the exclusive right, not working. Not okay. We, we should not sign a contract that continues the same thing going forward. Even in the all-career post offices, what we've seen is there's still tremendous staffing problems, uh, partially, and so, of course, we're going to say, hey, 2218 is still not high enough. And that's true. 2218 is still not high enough for starting pay. But the other thing that's going on is that the people in charge of the hiring process do not know what the hell they're doing. They're doing a terrible job of marketing the job. They're doing a terrible job of communicating with applicants. Their software that they have set up so someone could come in and apply for the job is extremely outdated. Um, it just tons of problems with the hiring process. So to sign a contract that leaves the same language in play and doesn't make any other changes, unacceptable. We, we can't go forward like that. Uh, contract compliance, talked about that a little bit already. Uh, right now in the contract, the language that applies to contract compliance is all the way at the end of Article 15, Article 15.4A6. The rest of Article 15 leads up to the steps of the grievance procedure, informal A, formal A, step B, uh, pre-arb, or they call them step C these days. Uh, but anyway, when you get to 154A6, it says all decisions of an arbitrator will be final and binding. And obviously, a decision that the parties enter into in one of the steps prior to arbitration is equally final and binding. Uh, however, I'm just pointing out that that's not working. We're, we're making decisions. We're saying we're no longer going to work the people past the work hour limits, and then they keep working them past the work hour limits. We say we're we're no longer gonna we're gonna apply the overtime rules equitably in the future, and then we just don't. Uh, whatever you know, the postal service that it has to figure out a way. We have to figure out a way to make uh, the contract enforceable ba based on the terms, uh, the transfer rules. And if you're not, if you never looked for a transfer or never tried to transfer, you, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. Believe me, the I don't know what percent it is, 10, 20 percent of our members that want to transfer. Um, you will you will bang your head up against the wall. The transfer rules are really silly. They're really outdated. Um, for example, we would not tolerate a contract where seniority didn't rule. We have it in the contract, Article 41, the, the what is it, 41 1C4, the, the, the senior bidder shall work the duty assignment. Uh, we would not sign a contract with our employer that didn't honor seniority. Why do we keep signing a contract that makes it so hard for letter carriers to transfer, particularly if two letter carriers want to swap positions. Uh, those, those rules are ridiculous. The lock-in period is ridiculous. The ratio, the fact that we don't know how it's going to be applied when they go to fill uh, vacancies, that's ridiculous. And uh, for CCAs to transfer, 
uh, or if you're transferring from right now, we have a CCA to a part-time flexible position uh, in the offices that have the all-career model, facilitating that, making it happen, um, just the person's right to do that. It's all, it's way too many impediments, roadblocks, and, and just stupidity in the process uh, that the employer is set up not because it's in their interest to deny people from transferring. I mean, what does the employer care? You, you got a letter carrier here. They're an employee. Uh, you got, you, they want to move over here. You need employees over here. It, this is not something that the employer has an interest in putting up an impediment. It's just that the inner workings of the Postal Service throughout the years have led us to this point where it just doesn't work anymore, and, and we, need to have, we need to have a change. Uh, the next thing is the scheduling. Uh, the scheduling is, is all across the board. There should be a schedule for the um, flexible workforce. The city of Chicago, I think I mentioned in the last uh, episode, uh, already has such an ordinance. So it's fair if you go to work at McDonald's, if you go to work at Target, if you go to work at any other place in the city of Chicago, it's fair that, that there be some type of schedule. And in the city of Chicago, and I'm not saying we have to implement the same rules, uh, but there's advance notice of your schedule 14 days in advance. You have the right to decline any unscheduled hours. You're scheduled 14 days in advance. If you don't know about it and they say, you know, can you work on Tuesday? You can say yes or you can say no. If you say yes, there's a premium they have to pay because now they've scheduled you uh, with, with not enough notice. The current rules on holiday scheduling for a holiday requires them to post the schedule the Tuesday of the week prior to the week of the holiday. However, if they want you to work tomorrow, there's, there's, no, there's no time frame. If they want you to work tomorrow, boom, that's it. Come in tomorrow. They can tell you at, at 6 p.m. You return from the street. 6, 7 p.m., they say, oh, by the way, I need you tomorrow. That's ridiculous. That, that, that's, a, that's an absurdity. Obviously, the issue of a full-time carrier being able to work a full-time schedule, like Article 8.1 says, where it says that uh, the work week for full-time regulars shall be 40 hours per week and 8 hours per day, that should mean something. Uh, so the whole... The whole thing about uh, the schedule has to be looked at and adjusted and changed and, and made to make sense. Um, Full-time assignments. So 7.3a, Article 7.3.a says the employer will staff at least one full-time regular city letter carrier per one full-time regular city letter carrier route. Makes sense. However, the memorandum on filling vacancies uh, causes for a delay in, in the filling. The bid churn causes for a delay in the filling of the vacancies. And when the, there's somebody on the route that um, is not capable of performing those duties because of a medical reason, or that person that's assigned to that route is away, uh, let's say in the military, or they're on a 204B detail, or any other type of uh, detail, they call those things ORNAs on the route but not available. They, the Postal Service does not have one full-time uh, carrier for every full-time assignment. You can go to any post office in America and say, how many routes are here and how many uh, swings do you have? Add that number up and then count the number of full-time regulars that you have in that installation and the number will be less. The number will be less every single time, some places drastically less uh, than, than that number that it should be. So 
the language, the way it's written, and and uh, you know between the seven three the seven three language and the language in the uh, full time opportunities memo, it, it's got to change so that so that it makes sense, so that we have one for one, so that we have regularity and we have the number of full time assignments that we need. The other thing is we have a huge problem out there with cross craft cross craft assignments, uh, carriers being assigned uh, to do letter. Uh, I'm sorry, rural carrier work. Carriers being assigned to do clerk work uh, in the mornings, mainly you know putting the thing in front of the machine to tell you what route the parcel goes to. Um, when we're doing that work, we don't want to turn down any work. Our our um, motivation is to take whatever work the employer gives us, and as long as our people are well compensated, and as long as we have the right number of staff, uh, we'll take everything. We'll do all the work in the post office, whatever work they want to give us, right? Uh, we're not here to turn down any work, but we don't have the number of, of assignments reflective of the amount of work that we're giving. A simple provision that said, hey, add up the number of hours that the city letter carriers are working in a week. Divide by 40, that's the number of full-time assignments you, you should have. So the work was not based on the number of assignments. I mean, the full-time assignments is not, is not based on the number of routes that you would have in that scenario but the full-time assignments would be based on the amount of work that we have. That would be a better formulation for us. That would more uh, better address our needs and, and serve us as, as we go forward. The last thing is the starting times. Uh, and, and that's a tough one, but, uh, and, and we've been successful with grievances on changes in starting times, but to be a full-time regular and for the employer to just one day to the next change the time that, you're, that, you, you, know, that you have to work, uh, that's just unacceptable. It, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, people attain that full-time assignment. They go through the process of being a CCA, PTF, you know, whatever. And then you become a full-time regular. That's got to mean something. And, and I don't know how you formulate it. There's different options there. Obviously, we get into a collective bargaining situation. We want to talk with the employer or talk with the arbitrator if we have to. But, but look, it, it just doesn't make any sense. The window for starting times should be the same window as daylight is. It shouldn't be a, a different window. You know, start times for regular city letter carrier routes, you know, uh, it should be. And, and you know, there's, there's a memo. There's a memo about uh, parcel routes, and it kind of flew under the radar, but you guys can go look it up, memo number M1975. It says the parties agree to establish a pilot program that includes alternate parcel delivery to evaluate the operational feasibility and composition of full-time parcel delivery assignments and or full-time combination assignments that include parcel delivery. So there's an opening there. Uh, and obviously, if you have a parcel route, I think it makes sense that that parcel route would be later in the day. It would start later, it would end later. Now you're dealing with darkness, but you're delivering parcels. You're not walking house to house. That's a little bit different. It would allow us to provide same-day delivery to customers when uh, parcel delivery companies, Amazon, you, whoever, when they drop things off at the post office or we pick up, uh, if we have full-time assignments that are, that are delivering parcels in a, in a later shift, that's something that would bode well for us because we would establish the full-time assignments that we need. It would bode well for the employer because they would be able to offer that, that same-day delivery. So these are the type of win-win solutions. But regular starting time, one, it shouldn't be so inflexible that they can change it on a whim. Uh, your, your starting time, you've set up your life, your, your kids, your, 
your spouse, you know, I, I got this time, you got that time, here's my schedule, here's yours. Um, that, that should be something, it's a bid assignment, you bid on it, it said that the time would be from 7.30 to, you know, to 4 o'clock, and then it's not, you know, so these are, these are problems that, that need to be addressed through the contract. So the last thing I had was, was the starting times. Uh, starting pay, just recap here, starting pay, the non-career debacle, the hiring process, contract compliance, transfers, scheduling, full-time assignments, and start times for, for the routes, including parcel routes, are the things that uh, definitely need to be addressed in this round of content. And that may not be a conclusive list, but that just gives you an idea of how far we have to go in this round of collective bargaining before we get to the point where we say, okay, yes, this is a contract that we're willing to sign, that we're willing to, to say okay. So um, at this point, I wanna do a quick presentation. I'm not gonna do a presentation on all of the subjects, but I wanna do one on one thing, and that is the issue of mandatory overtime. And, and I wanna kinda lay it out to you guys so you understand how the elimination of mandatory overtime is both uh, necessary and possible in this round of, of collective bargaining, okay? Give me one second here. Okay, when I'm talking about mandatory overtime, what I'm talking about is overtime off assignment and or on a non-scheduled day. So we're not talking about a letter care paragraph. We're not talking about overtime that you would do on your regular schedule route. It's completely reasonable that the employer has a rule that says, look, if there's work on your assignment, and we know that even if your route is properly adjusted, there's going to be some high days, there's going to be some low days. We know how that goes. Um, it's completely reasonable that an employer would expect you to deliver all, all the mail on your assignment. What makes no sense at all, and what's completely ridiculous, and we've come to accept it over the years, uh, but we shouldn't, and if you're kind of looking at it from the outside in, it doesn't make any sense. And that is that the employer fails to staff Route 7. I'm the regular carrier on Route 2, but yet they can obligate me, due to their failure to staff, uh, to go over there and deliver on Route 7. That, that doesn't make any sense. And just so you know that it's possible, I will read from you, I will read to you, I'm sorry, from the Rural Carriers Contract, Article 30.1. Point P. It says a regular rural carrier shall not be required to serve all or part of any rural route other than his or her assigned route, except as provided in the Elm Section 546, which is if you're injured. Uh, why cannot we get the same language in our contract? We definitely can. Uh, we definitely can. Now, what is the incentive for the employer to, to look at this? The incentive the employer has is the same incentives that I talked about earlier. They can't get the mail delivered. They're having all type of problems with retention. Uh, being a full-time carrier doesn't mean as much. If you're one of the, I would say the main reason that people quit this job is due to the scheduling, due to the fact that they're being mandated, due to the fact they don't know when they're going to work. Uh, it can't be the pay, even though the pay is is low and is is too low, uh, and it's something we have to resolve. But it can't be the pay. Because they took the job. They took the job, they're working the job, and then they quit. It tells you that there's something else at play. The two main things that are at play when people quit the job is the work environment and the lack of scheduling, including uh, mandatory overtime. So is there a solution 
to the mandatory uh, overtime issue. I believe there is. Uh, the rule carriers have it in their contract, uh, and I think we could we can get there in ours. Um, some of the things that are in play contractually that kind of have to make sense uh, in the in the scope of mandatory overtime. One, we have the new retention program. If you look at the new retention program, M number nineteen forty nine, M number nineteen sixty one, it says that there's work hour limits for new employees, and that makes sense. There should be. Uh, new employee trying to get their their feet under them, you know, it doesn't make any sense to work the hell out of them from the beginning, uh, then and then they're going to want to quit. It equally doesn't make any sense that you have a full-time regular that does not desire overtime, that wants to go pick up their kid, or wants to, you know, do whatever the hell they want, you know, they want to join the wine club after work, I mean the book club after work, you know, whatever, that, that should be their right, and they've earned that right uh, by being a full-time regular, why would a new employee have more rights than a full-time regular that, that has seniority? That, that doesn't make any sense. That's not a contract that, that we can agree to. Um, already, already the Postal Service has, has the ability to utilize the non-auxiliary workforce, but they're not required to. And that's a hole in the contract. And logically, why wouldn't the Postal Service utilize people that they're paying less money to before they force people that they're paying more money to to work. However, post offices all over the country, they're doing just that. Uh, they don't have to under the Article 8 rules because Article 8 doesn't apply to the uh, non-full-time uh, non workforce. It, it allows the employer to uh, mandate a regular carrier and allow for an auxiliary employee to go home. That doesn't make any sense. Um, the language in Article 8.1 should mean something. That means that the full-time regulars shall work 40 hours per week. I think I quoted that language earlier in this uh, podcast. Uh, and then the most, the most interesting or ironic or, or whatever you want to call it is these uh, 840 restrictions that uh, so many carriers have nowadays. And it didn't used to be uh, a major thing. Why? Because it wasn't necessary. You could work a regular schedule as a regular carrier. Well, now the Postal Service is actually losing on this thing because you could get a carriers to volunteer uh, sometimes to work overtime. But because there's this rampant mandatory overtime out there, many carriers, probably thousands at this point, I know I have whole offices in, in, in my region where you know they got these, these notices, that simply say, my patient, this is the doctor, my patient, for their health, can only work 40 hours a week. And that's, and that's all it says. And who, whose doctor wouldn't write that note? Uh, it, it, of course it is uh, more healthy to work less hours. Of course. It's, it's inherently unhealthy to work more and more. We do so voluntarily because we're getting paid for it. But because the employer is forcing all this mandatory overtime on us, they're losing these employees that may be willing to work overtime on occasion, depending on what route it is, depending on whatever circumstances. However, they don't have that opportunity because they have so many people that have gone out and got this eight, eight hours and 40 hours restriction, and it, it's, it's uh, contractually enforceable. We had a national arbitration, I think, from 1990, um, where the arbitrator said you can bid on assignment, and, and work an assignment if you have an 840 restriction because you're still able to perform your full-time uh, duties. I had a carrier call me the other day 
she said that her boss said that she couldn't bid out an assignment because she has restrictions. And I said, man, what, what are your restrictions? Are they real restrictive or what? She said, I can only work 10 hours in a day and 60 hours in a week. <laughs> so the boss told her, you can't bid on this assignment. You can't do it. We need you more than 10 hours in a day, more than 60 hours in a week. Uh, it's really gotten out of hand. It's really ridiculous. If you look at the options that are available to the employer, any decent employer, any decently managed operation could figure out how to get the mail delivered within these constraints. And mind you, we're dealing with an employer that can't get the mail delivered even without these restraints. So we know we have a, a problematic employer and there's a lot of things that need to be fixed there, uh, but that's, that's a separate issue. But if the employer is doing half the job that it, that it needed to do in staffing the place, et cetera, they would be able to uh, make sure they got all the mail delivered without the need for uh, mandatory overtime. What are their options under, under the contract? Well, what could we offer them under terms of the contract? One, obviously they already have the right to assign ODL carriers up to 12 hours in a day. And 12 hours a day is a lot. You know, that already is a lot. Uh, penalty overtime was put in play to make sure that there was an added penalty paid to the employer so they didn't rely upon the constant working of someone past 10 hours in a day or any of the provisions in 8.5F. But think about it. They're constantly working people past those work hour limits and paying penalty overtime. That should be the exception, not the rule. So the fact that you have the right to work people up to 12 hours is all people on the ODL, ones that desire overtime, they want to get paid. That's already a huge ability that you have as an employer to staff the operation and, and get the mail delivered. Um, they have the right to uh, use the auxiliary workforce. They have that right. It's not prohibited. They can use them up to the contractual limits in the um, in the um, 432.32. Uh, they can solicit non-ODL volunteers. That's already in the contract. They can they can do that now. Uh, volunteer, I got a problem with. I don't. Well, this maybe it's just me, but I don't have a problem with somebody volunteering to work past the work hour limits. Uh, maybe maybe we can uh, adjust that language in the contract if that's what the employer wants us to do because. If, to me, if somebody wants to work uh, 14 hours or whatever, I'm not getting in their way. I just want to make sure they're paid properly. I just want to make sure that they're, they're doing so voluntarily. Uh, maybe there's some movement or some way we can negotiate terms of the contract like that. Um, they can use carriers from another office. We got a memorandum about detailing um, 1968. It opens the door for utilizing carriers from another office. Obviously, uh, CCAs can be loaned under M1827. Uh, regular carriers can be detailed, or maybe there's some other formulation that makes sense, but the employer has that as an option. Obviously, they can hire as many people as they want. Uh, that is obviously under their, their purview in Article 3. Have at it. Hire as many people as you need uh, so that you don't have to mandate full-time regulars uh, off their assignment and on their NS days. And then if you can't get enough applicants, guess what else you can do? you can just raise the starting pay. Just keep raising the pay until you get enough applicants in lieu of, instead of uh, forcing these full-time regulars that want to be able to work their regular schedule. So all that being said, with the employer having the right to utilize the ODL to the max, utilize the auxiliary workforce to the max, hire more people, get volunteers from other offices that are on the ODL or auxiliary workforce, um, uh, ask for volunteers amongst the people that are not on the list. With all of those options available to the employer, it simply doesn't make any sense 
that we would allow for the status quo, uh, which doesn't work, which makes people quit the job, which makes people hate the job, which doesn't work for the employer because they're paying out all this uh, additional money and penalty overtime, we would allow the status quo to remain is, is, is unacceptable. It's unfathomable. It's not something we should enter into. A, a contract in 2023 must eliminate mandatory overtime. It must. We should stand firm on that. We should stand our ground on that. We shouldn't give in on that in, in any type of way. You deserve a better contract in 2023. You deserve a better quality of life. You deserve a career job that's going to be there and keep paying you well into your retirement uh, years. We should not accept a contract that only addresses economic issues and leaves everything else on the table. That is unacceptable. This contract has got to address our fundamental needs. So having said all that, this is the reason for the podcast. Brothers and sisters, particularly branch presidents, particularly union stewards, particularly people that are influencers and leaders in your, uh, in your uh, local union. You need to start putting pressure on uh, all of the executive council, including me, that we need a better contract. Because I damn near, I damn sure expect the members of Region 3 uh, to not accept another bad contract this time around. I damn sure expect the members in my region to hold me accountable to go to Washington starting next week and bring them home a contract that we can be proud of. So call your business agents, talk to them, let them know what your expectations are, whatever region you're in in this country. And when the national officers come out to your events, a lot of branches have retirement events, et cetera. Uh, the president Renfro will come out or he'll send one of the officers from DC, the resident officers, let them know because they're on the executive council. They're going to have a vote. They're going to have influence over the terms of this contract. Let them know how you feel and what we expect out of, out of this contract. I hope, I hope from the bottom of my heart that our president, Brian Renfro, is successful in presenting us a contract that addresses our needs and that serves the future for, for letter carriers. Uh, however, and I told him this, and I told the entire executive council this, if it does not, and we are presented with a contract that does not do that, that does not solve the fundamental problems in the contract, that does not bode well for our future, that does not make our job better and solve the, the problems that, are, that are we have you know, in, in today's uh, day and age, if it doesn't do that, I will vote this thing down. I will not vote for it. I, I encourage each and every one of you to make your position very, very clear on what you're going to do if we fail, if we fail in collective bargaining in presenting a contract that is worthwhile of our signature as the National Association of Letter Carriers, we should vote that thing down. Let me read from you guys uh, a little bit from Article 16 of the Constitution. And this is on page 53. Get some water. Okay. This is in the middle of the page there. Membership acceptance or rejection of a proposed national agreement shall be by majority of valid ballots returned by the voters. So we have a say in this thing. When such majority votes to accept a proposed agreement, no other action shall be required of the union membership. Suitable and timely notice of such results shall be made and certified to the membership by the ballot committee through the postal record and or the NELC bulletin. Now go down a little bit. 
when the majority of total votes cast is for rejection, the NELC negotiator shall inform the USPS and reopen negotiations within five days after the vote is tallied. If negotiations are not reopened, the NELC negotiator shall determine if there will be binding arbitration, comma, an immediate work stoppage, comma, or a designated job action. Just so you know how serious this thing is. If negotiations are reopened, they will not exceed a period of 15 calendar days, at which time a second ballot shall be mailed to each member for ratification or rejection. If the membership rejects the second ballot, then the national president will determine if there will be a binding arbitration, an immediate work stoppage, or a designated job action. Uh, I think this is a dated language, probably prior to the strike of 1970 in our Constitution. I highly doubt, nor do I encourage our president to call for a work stoppage or go out on strike or anything like that. So I wanted to alert you guys to the language that is in the Constitution, let you know the power that you have and just how, how serious this thing is. Uh, we should be able to resolve our uh, issues through uh, binding arbitration. We have, we have the leverage. Uh, we, we have identified what the problems is, uh, are. We've identified what the solutions are and a reasonable, independent, neutral arbitrator that has that NELC person that we've appointed sitting next to them the whole time, looking over their shoulder and saying, hey, that makes sense. Hey, that's something we can live with. Hey, that's good for the employer and good for the employee. You know, we have that type of uh, environment. We should be able to be successful. We got some of the greatest people out there uh, in dealing with arbitration. Some of those people are on the executive council I uh, won't name their names, but you guys know who you are. Uh, we need to be involved in that process, and, and we need to bring this home for the members. Uh, and if we don't, then, then the members, all of you guys, should, should vote this contract down. So uh, that's where I stand on it. We are starting negotiations starting this Wednesday. Uh, please be alert. Please be in tune. Please be in constant contact with your uh, national business agent and all of our nationally elected representatives, including our national president, uh, Brian Renfro. And uh, let's get this done. Let's get us a, uh, ourselves a good contract. It's going to be good for us. It's going to be good for the employer. And it's going to serve us all well into the future. I uh, can't wait to get started. I'm excited. Uh, and I'll see all my brothers and sisters on the executive council this week out there in Washington. I can't thank Corey enough for giving me this platform, allowing me to speak to you guys directly here tonight. Um, I, I love you guys deeply. Uh, I really do. I know he, he says that, and, and when he says it, I feel it, and, and I think he means it. Uh, trust me, I, I mean it as well. Uh, we're all in this thing together. Everyone's trying to play their role and, and help out as much as they can, uh, but I wanted to make sure you guys knew what we're up against and, and the situation that we're, that we're facing right now. So, uh, Corey, I turn it back over to you, my brother. I, I appreciate you for everything, and I appreciate you giving me the time here tonight. All right, my man. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, thank you. What about that, y'all? Now, here's a national business agent that just came on here for an hour and 15 minutes to talk to y'all about collective bargaining coming up. Has anybody else done that? That's, that's what I'm talking about. That's the reason I love Mike Cariff, is he's a fighter. Hey, I'm about the city letter carrier, and if you're about the city letter carrier, then I'm about you. So I'm about Mike Cariff. That that dude, and he told me today, he said, I can't come on till four because I'm doing stuff with the union before that. 
So here's a business agent. He's talking about me. I don't sleep. Here's a business agent that works seven days a week. So, yeah, I love that guy, man. That's fire right there. <laughs> That's good stuff. You remember when I told y'all a long time ago that you're the most important person in the Postal Service and you're the most important person in the union? Do you know why I say that? Because you control the vote. <laughs> you control the vote. There is nothing more powerful than the one who controls the vote. So if y'all don't like something, vote it out. You don't like the, the proposed contract, vote it down. You don't like the job that people are doing, vote them out. That's how powerful you are. Just like Mike said, you control the vote. And he who controls the vote <laughs> controls the power. Y'all need to understand that. When we all get on that same page, we all understand that. You want to talk about power? That's power. I'm not going to keep talking. Hey, I'm Mike, again, I appreciate you more than you know, brother, for coming in here, talking to our people like that. Uh, mm, that's special, special stuff. Next week, JB will be on. He's going to do kind of a salted peanut, some really good stuff. He's been talking to me about it throughout the week. It's going to be really good stuff. Make sure y'all get on from Made Arbitration, the Facebook page with Miss Lindsay. She's doing a great job there. From MadeArbitration.com. Now, let me tell you, a lot of times y'all have questions from me. If you go to FromAidArbitration.com and go to the episodes, scroll down to you hit episodes, and you go down to the episode where one of us is talking about something, on that episode, you'll have the sites, you'll have the contentions, you have the contractual language. All of that will be right there for you, okay? I don't mind getting it for you. Don't bother me, but just to save you from having to message me because all I'm going to do is go to that episode, scroll down, and get it and send it to you. So go to FromAidArbitration.com, scroll down to Episodes, when it pulls up all the episodes, go down to the one that you're, you're referring to. And, and uh, Jeremy has put all that stuff on there for you. And uh, you can download that. Uh, Discord. Get on there. We were talking earlier today. Some great people on there. They're doing a lot of great work, too. Not just cutting up. They, a lot of contractual stuff going on Discord. If you go to FromAidArbitration.com, uh, it'll have a link for you to get on Discord. Get on there. It's growing by leaps and bounds. Reddit. Get on there. That guy does a fantastic job. A lot of great, funny stuff on the red. It's growing by, by leaps and bounds. So uh, that's it for today. Um, an hour and 15 minutes with, with Mike Care of Business Agent Region 3. Special. Really special. I'll talk to you all next Sunday. We'll have JB on. All right.